the Sustainable Voice, bringing you big successes from small places worldwide. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Sustainable Traveler. Ashish Sangrachka, your host here. So I have a question for all of you. Have you ever had something, be it a hat, a shoe, pair of pants, something that you just, you loved, even a binky if you were a kid, right? That blanket, something that you just had that you did not want to give away, even if you had it when you were five. Now, you know, you could be a you know 40 year old man with a binky from when you were five. I'd be a bit worried, but if you had one, but have you ever had something like that? Think about that for a second. You see, I'm a U2 junkie, and, and this isn't a debate about Bono or U2. I'm just a U2 junkie. So my favorite hat is a U2 hat I got from one of the concerts. I've seen them in concert now 13 times, one of the concerts I was in. And it's, it's a hat that I've worn everywhere, and I've had this hat for almost 20 years. It looks 20 years old, too. So why this is important is because oftentimes you don't want to get worried, get a, you don't want to, to give away that that possession you, you're so you're, you're attached to it, but every now and then you come across something, you come across someone, something, some place where it compels you to just move on or to just share uh, share that 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 prize that prized item. For me, that was the Areto Primary School in Tanzania. This is a really cool school. It's basically about uh, an hour and a half outside of Arusha. It supports a bunch of Maasai communities that are outside the, the, the city. Now, these are communities that don't get any government assistance and whatnot. So these are kids that would be farming otherwise. And I was actually at this school last year, and I'm heading back soon. And what was amazing was this little kid named Julian comes up. He's got this smile that could honestly pierce through a lead wall. It is so captivating. It is just it's amazing how he lights up an entire room. So of course he shows up and he doesn't want to smile at first. He comes up and he's looking at you stoic, stone-faced, high, you know, doesn't say anything. And then all of a sudden something comes over you and you just want to hug this kid. Well, for me, I gave him my hat and I gave him this U2 hat and I didn't even give my own kids my U2 hat. And I gave him this hat and his smile lit up ear to ear. And that's what the school did. And that's what he did. So I want to tell you this story just because of the fact that, you know, oftentimes on this podcast, we talk about the, the, the movement and we talk about how something can be so emotionally charged. And we talk about these big successes in small places. But we, what I really want to share with you about this particular success is that there's an emotional investment that I didn't think would happen. It was completely unexpected. In order to understand this investment, I got to take you back eight years. So eight years ago, I'm in Tanzania and I'm talking to some friends and they talk about this school and they talk about the need to educate uh, how these Maasai kids are, are, are farmers, how they are being asked to be farmers and young kids. Education isn't even on the horizon. The prospect of trying to actually achieve more than what their parents have achieved isn't on the horizon. Now, I'm not talking about leaving the heritage. It's two completely different things. But the prospect of trying to achieve something beyond that community, beyond that, that, that village, just wasn't on the horizon. And so eight years ago, I am in Tanzania. I'm at the hotel in Arusha, and I said, you know, there's internet here. I'm, it's a Sunday. Uh, I just want to just relax. And I happen to pull up this TED Talk. 
And I pull up this TED Talk, and it is just something really, really special. It's this 13-year-old Maasai kid that is talking about how he used LED lights to actually uh, end the lion Maasai conflict in his community and how he used simple moving LED lights to, to cure that. So as I'm listening to this podcast, I'm thinking, you know, if this kid who was given this talk, if this kid was just still in the village and had no prospect of education, no prospect of wanting something beyond what his current circumstances are, this talk wouldn't have happened. These lion would still be killing their livestock. The lionesses would still be hunting their livestock. The conflict would still exist and would actually be exacerbated. Now you're talking about something different. Now you start looking at, you know, just this thought that says, well, what if these kids actually do want something more, but they can't say it or they don't know how to say it? So as I'm talking to our friends in Tanzania, we said, you know, there's this area outside of Arusha called Ereto. Let's go check it out. There's a school that's there. It's got 20 kids. So we go out there. It's not even a school. It's literally a dirt mound, not even a, uh, not even a, a classroom, no, no construction, no facility, nothing. It's literally a dirt mound. Uh, and, and these kids are there and they're sitting there learning. And there's a teacher who's talking to them. The teachers come in from town. I don't know how much they're absorbing, not absorbing, uh, whether they even care. But they're sitting on this dirt mound. And then I noticed something on the mound. There's termites that are termite mounds around where they're sitting. They don't care. Then I went back and I noticed it had rained. They don't care. They're sitting in the mud. So we started talking to the community and, and the, the, the director of the school started telling us how he was talking to the community, trying to convince the Maasai elders to let their kids go to school. And it was literally like you were trying to borrow 20 bucks from a gambler. It was insane just how, just, just how stubborn some of these, these elders were. They said, no, you know, literally flat out, no, almost resented the question that the kids would have to go to school. They wanted their kids to be farmers. That was eight years ago, going on nine. And I remember just, just seeing how this, 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 this school was being built and what was happening. And then all of a sudden, 20 kids became 40 kids. Now we needed a classroom. So we started building these cinder blocks. Now, not everybody was sold on the concept. A lot of the locals came up and said, what are you doing? Why are you interfering? What is this for? All very fair questions. But I noticed something as we're building this classroom, the very first one there. Now, when I say building a classroom, it's a very loose term, okay? We're talking cinder blocks, no roof, no doors, no windows, nothing on the inside. It is strictly just a structure to block wind. That's it. I noticed something as we were building this. The kids were showing up, and even though there was no roof, they were sitting with paper, with pencil, writing. Even if it was raining, they would sit there in the rain and then take their notes and write and listen and whatnot. The intent to learn was there. And these we're not talking about 15-year-old kids or 18-year-old kids. We're talking about kids that are five, six, seven. It's a primary school, maybe 10, right? We're talking about kids that. Uh, like I said, they haven't had any any exposure to major cities. They haven't had any major exposure to educations. For them, this is just something to do. But they were committed to doing it. They were committed to actually being there. They were committed to sitting down. So I noticed this about this school. Again, going back all these years and just seeing that these kids are sitting in the rain, 
Meanwhile, the elders are saying, well, I'm not so sure. Of course, it, talking to the director in local dialect, you know, there's arguments assuming some sort of even some level of resentment, which I understand. But these kids are still there. Then the following year, it was 60 kids, then 70 kids, then 80 kids. Now, you're probably asking, where are these kids coming from? Are they just coming from other communities? Some. But these are all kids within the neighboring communities that live there that are hearing because somebody else said, hey, come with me. Hey, come with me. In fact, at one point, the teacher said, there's kids sitting here I haven't even met. I, they knew them from the community, but they've never seen them before. But it was literally a referral program where, where these kids were telling their friends to come to school because it was something to do. And they were coming and sitting down, sitting in the hot, beating sun with no roof, sitting in the rain with no cover. But they're still sitting there. No blackboard. Now, I want you to stop and think about this for a second, okay? No blackboard, just a cinder block wall. If ever there was a time to remember Plato's book, The Republic, and that, that scene in the cave where everybody's staring out at the cave instead of looking at the fire, this is, this is pretty much a, a real-life example of it. You have these kids that are sitting in this classroom staring at the cinder block wall, looking at this cinder block wall as if there's a blackboard there, as if there's something to see there. And I can only imagine what they're doing in their head, the visualization that they have and what they're seeing. There's nothing up there, right? There's nothing there. So the teacher is, of course, there and lecturing on science and math and whatnot. And what was amazing, and I'll never forget, is the fact that it was being absorbed. And I'll explain to you in a bit how I knew it was being absorbed, but it was being absorbed. Now, you fast forward a few years. The classroom is built. There's a second classroom that started. Now, the first one still has no roof, but it's built. The second one, the blocks have gone up. And what's, what's happening now is the kids are coming in and filling up the second classroom. More kids that are coming and filling up the second classroom, right? What's the phrase? If a child wants to do something, nobody's going to stop that child from doing it, right? If you put your mind to something, right, the, the, that old saying. These were kids telling other kids that instead of going and doing this or doing that, come to school. Now, I want you to pretend or remember when you were six, seven, eight years old. Remember when you were a child. Remember when you were told, hey, no, no, you can't do this. When you were 13, 14 years old, 12 years old. No, no, you can't do this. Don't push this red button, for example. What'd you do? No, I got to push the button. I got to push the button. I got to do this. I got to do this. What if somebody told you, hey, you can't do this. You would get so stubborn, many of you, like I would, and just say, nope, I need to figure this out. But take it a step further. When you were hanging out with your friends and you said, hey, what do we do today? Let's go play with this toy or that toy or go ride bikes. I am willing to bet none of you, none of you listening right now were telling your friends, hey, let's go to a classroom. Let's go hang out at school, right? Think about that for a second. Yet these kids were doing that. These kids were saying, let's go hang out at school. Now we've gone from 20 kids to 40 to 50. Now two classrooms are filled up. Now there are desks in the classroom that have been donated because somebody came and saw this and was just so compelled. We saw what was happening. We're so compelled. And now all of a sudden the desks are there. So now you have a place to sit. Still no roof, still no window, still no hard floor. It's just dirt and still no blackboard, but you have desks. Then the blackboard comes in. Now it's like a game changer because now the teachers are writing everything. They're going through and whatnot. Kids are taking notes. And now a roof gets in. Now a window gets in. 
Now, two more classrooms on the horizon. So two are complete. A third one is actually about to be completed. And now you've got over 100 kids, not through any kind of recruiting, not through any kind of messaging, just sheer referrals. Friends telling friends, come to school because it literally is cool. I mean, I hate to sound so cliche, but that's essentially it. Be cool, stay in school. Come to school because it's cool. And these kids are showing up. And they're filling every single desk. They're filling every area in the classroom. And they're doing it proudly. Think about that. Just think about something that you have wanted to do with your friends. And what was the cool thing to do? And I'm willing to bet that whatever you did was probably really cool. But I bet you it wasn't. It didn't involve you going to school. Now imagine whatever you thought was cool, other people heard about it. Other kids your age, and they all wanted to join you. They all wanted to be there and be part of it, to, to go with you. Whether you knew them or not, that's what's happening at Areto. That's what was happening, was literally organically kids hearing from other kids. Fast forward to today. We just cleared, that school just cleared. And I was amazed when I saw this. The school cleared 300 kids from 20 to 300. There's now three full classrooms with, with uh, plans for them to build two more. There's a teacher's dorm that's been built. And I'll come back to what the teacher's dorm is for. But you've got all the classrooms filled and they're looking for more because the capacity is still growing. The headmaster was telling me that he expects to be at 1,000 children Within the next five years, I believe him too. But to go from 20 and to be the least popular guy in the community because you were trying to do something that wasn't known to now having those same elders donating you the land to build your next classroom, to build your dormitory, to, to expand the school because the school has now become the center of their universe there the way it became the center of the kids' universe. If that's not a movement, my friends, I don't know what is. You go to school and you see this revolution, this complete transformation of these kids, starting with young Julian, the one who took my U2 hat. You know, when I first met Julian, he didn't smile. He was very shy. Um, I shouldn't say shy because he actually was very, very forthcoming. He didn't say much. But he, his smile just happened no matter what. The best, you know, no matter how hard he tried, the best smile you would get from him is the one that he tried to hold in. So he would try his darndest to keep from smiling. I am not going to smile. He would look at you. He would stare at you. He would give you this look like he just doesn't want, doesn't want you to be there. And then all of a sudden, and you, you almost believe him. And then this smile just breaks out and he even can't control it. He's so happy. You start talking to the teachers and, and the headmaster and whatnot. And every time somebody comes, he wants to be at the school. If it's a Sunday and somebody's coming to donate stuff to, to the school, he wants to come back to the school. He wants to go see who's helping him because he's actually not expecting any help. And he's pleasantly surprised when something somebody does help. So he wants to show up. So again, let's take a step back. And I want you to think about for your second just for a second, think about you are a seven-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid. You Now you and your friends are doing something that everybody else wants to do as well, whether it's a movement of some kind, whether it's school, whatever it was. 
And other people are now externally, not kids, other people are now hearing about what you have and saying, oh, we want to come be part of this too. And they show up and you're so happy to see them, but you can't show it. So you put the stone cold look on your face and then you show it afterwards. And then you show it afterwards and go, oh, these guys are here. Look what they're giving. Look what they're here for. Well, that's what these kids do. And I tell you, what was really funny was this last visit. So Julian had my hat, my my U2 hat, as I mentioned to you. There's an older kid there who took the hat from him and actually put it on his head. Julian felt like you had taken the shirt off his back. The smile went away. He looked up at the kid. If he could reach him, he probably would have grabbed the hat. But what was so so amazing was the older kid looked down at Julian. The look on his eyes said everything at all. I don't know what the older kid sensed, but he gave the hat back to Julian right away and then moved behind him. So this little kid, Mighty Mouse, if you will, basically took this hat. Now the smile's back on. He's curious. He starts seeing who's come to help. He starts seeing who's there. And he's not putting names to anything. He's not associating money with who's donating. He's there just to be part of the conversation to, to basically to see who's there because it's the cool thing to do. And a school that goes from 80 kids to 300, if there, if there ever was a definition of a big success in a small place, this is it. You're two hours from civilization. There's a dirt road to get up here. There's no paved way to get up here. And yet they have 300 kids. You ever hear the phrase, passion is infectious? You ever hear somebody tell you, your smile is infectious. Your passion is just, you hope everybody catches your passion. You hope everybody catches your enthusiasm. Ever have anybody say that to you? I've I've been honored people have said that to me. I want to tell you about the teachers at Arto, because while they may not say it, they show it. Now, before I tell you the story of how the teachers get to Arto, I want all of you listeners to think about your drive to work or your walk to work or your bike to work. How long is your commute? What's the most frustrating part of the commute? What's the hardest part of the commute? And what's the easiest part? Now I want to tell you about these teachers. Every morning they have to leave at some ungodly hour. They have to hitchhike roughly anywhere from 18 to 20 kilometers. Eh, Probably a little bit less than that, but 15 to 20 kilometers. Then they have to walk the last eight kilometers after they get off because the truck that they're, the, or the vehicle they're hitchhiking with can't get up the road. You need a four-wheel drive, so they can't get up the road in the dirt hill to get to the school. And I know this because I had a friend of mine try to go to this school just about two months ago and flipped her car off of the road because she was trying to get there. But now you're a teacher who's, who does this every single morning and does it again every single night. For no other purpose except for the fact that you're a teacher ordained by the government, which means you get paid by the government. You could teach anywhere in the city that could be an easy commute from home, but you show up at this school instead, at a retro primary school. Whether it's Julian's smile, whether it's the kids, whether it's the purpose, the fact is you show up. You're there for a full day to eat, and they have to do that whole commute home on the way back. And that's without it raining. When it's raining, it's a separate issue because then you can't even get to the school. How do you walk up the hill? It becomes impassable, right? You're trying to to expand the school and build things there and whatnot. And as you're doing it, 
you're having trouble actually building into the school just because of the fact, um, you know, just because of the fact that as you're scheduling and whatnot, the, some of the supplies don't arrive because the road's been washed out. So many different elements that you think about. And yet, Julian and his friends are smiling. Yet these teachers show up. Think about your, your commute. Those of you who have a really horrible or difficult commute, it's an hour and a half, two hours, you're sitting in traffic on the 405, you're sitting in traffic on I-95, you're sitting in traffic on US-1, you're sitting in traffic on whatever your favorite highway is, your road is. Whatever that main drag in your city, you're sitting in traffic. There's a person who's walking on the sidewalk, walking faster than, than you're driving. It's like a scene from the movie Office Space. Think about how frustrated you get in that car going, this traffic is not moving. This commute is, is just draining. Now imagine having to do it twice a day, half on foot and then half on vehicle hitchhiking. And yet they show up. That's what makes the new project at Aroto so special. So last year, through some generous donations, the school actually is started breaking ground. They're almost done now on a teacher's dorm. A two-bedroom unit that's actually, again, on land donated by the same Maasai elders who were first saying, no, my kids don't need education. I need to be farmers. Those same elders are now donating the land. It's a two-bedroom dorm that has a kitchen in the middle. So these teachers that come in, if they don't feel like going home, they have a place to stay. They could spend one, two nights here and then go back home the next day. They could spend the night here and then go back home. So instead of going back and forth every day, maybe it's every other day. Maybe it's three times a week they get to stay at the school. There's enough room there where if all the teachers aren't using it, they want to come up with their family and have their family stay there while they taught. They can do that too. There's a level of freedom. It's huge. Right? So again, we talk about the fact that enthusiasm and passion being enthusiastic, you know, just being infectious, just, just being contagious, that everybody has it, that everybody catches it when you have it. That's what's happening at a school. That's the magic sauce at a retro primary school. It's not the school itself. It's not the structure itself. It's the fact that the passion and enthusiasm with which the school is built, run, operated, maintained, and expanded is what's contagious. To, to, to everybody who's there. The fact that these kids are always smiling. The fact these kids are so happy to see you. The fact these kids come in on a Sunday to meet whoever's come to visit the school to donate stuff and whatnot, not because they're asked to. They're not, they're not this, this troop that comes up and does a song and dance and sings and bounces up and down and whatnot. They come because they're curious. They want to make friends. I know this because every year I show up, they haven't. In one year, they even put a cardboard cutout of my face. And, one, and Julian, the kid, was holding that cardboard cutout. It's just being funny. But they're curious about who's there. They're curious about who, who shows up, who's coming there. That's all, that's all amazing things, right? So remember, we start talking about these big successes in small places. It's not because of millions of dollars in donations. I mean, that's, that's nice. It's because the people on ground really believe in what the school's about. They saw what I saw. I mean, I, I, I saw the school eight years ago, and I have, I've never been the same since. And honestly, it had nothing to do with the kids. The kids are amazing as well. It's what I just mentioned. You start picking up on the enthusiasm. You start picking up on the passion. You start picking up on, on these elements of what life is really like. You start picking up on these things that these kids genuinely love teaching. To the point where they always, the school always rolls with some of the most unique punches I've ever seen. So think about your grade school. Think about your, your grade school. Think about 
something that was happening to the structure of the school, whether it was designed wrong, there was a construction issue, but something, there's a water leak somewhere. In my school, the air conditioning system was put in backwards, so it leaked. But there's something. Think about, think about what that something could be. You know what the main issue at director of primary school is? Termites. So when these classrooms were built, underneath the concrete walls, termites were coming into the, 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 the school and they were actually chewing up the new books that were donated. They were, they were eating the books, eating the textbooks, eating the, the, you know, anything that they could that was left on the desks. So what did Eretto do? They were trying to build a library. Instead of building a typical library that you and I would go to, they built a whole metal enclosed shelving system that actually keeps the books at bay, keeps the termites at bay. They treated everything on the ground as well, but they're protecting their books. That's, that's what they have to deal with. The worst we would have to deal with is, you know, the playground having a new divot so we can't play dodgeball or, or something wrong with the AC unit or something happening in the, in, in, in the hallways. Imagine you had termites eating your textbook. What's that phrase? My dog ate my homework. <laughs> At a retro primary school, the termites literally ate the kids' homework. Literally. Ate their textbook, ate their homework. What'd they do? All right, we're going to do the shelving system. We're going to put the books here, and we move on. Remember I said to you earlier that the curriculum for these kids is so different. So my last visit, I actually opened up one of their science books, and I because I wanted to see what was in there. What I saw in there blew me away. It was a, a whole chapter, actually several chapters, on solar power. And I'm not talking about the sun gives rays of energy to the panel, it provides energy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, they were talking about dry cell batteries, inverters, how to, how, to, how to hook this up, what the benefits are and whatnot. So I said, this is awfully specific. How would they practice this? So I come out and ask the headmaster, his name is China, and I go, how do these kids practice Something like this, talking about solar power. How, I, I mean, you, it's written there, but how do you practice it? What does he say? He goes, look up. Ashish, look up. I looked up, and what do I see? A solar panel installed on one of the classrooms. And I see the wiring coming down. It's very simple. It's only just one panel, just one panel. And the wiring is there. Everything is there. And the science book talks about how they're supposed to hook up that panel, what the battery's role is, how the power is stored, how it's used. These are young kids, and they know how, they know how that works. They know that aspect of it. Now, they you have the this school. They need you know another classroom. They need a, 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 the kitchen repaired. They're expanding even more and more and more. And this school that started with 20 kids is now turning into this complete asylum or this complete sanctity for all these kids in the area. 300 and growing from 20. 300 and growing from 20. It's huge. It works. It works so so well, just because of the fact that you've got something really really special. You've got something here where it's not just the teachers telling you that they that they love the school. It's the kids, without saying one word, their smile says it all. Especially young Julian. The fact that the school offers a haven for him. I'll never forget this past Christmas. Uh, it was twenty twenty Christmas, I think. 
so they needed new shoes and they needed dinner. So, so I had arranged to have Christmas dinner, uh, to arrange Christmas dinner. These kids were having a blast. They were getting shoes, the Christmas dinner, and everything was being you know, delivered. And they were laughing and smiling and, and just, just enjoying it up because, again, they didn't expect any help. And they're just grateful when they get it. So you see, my friends, this podcast has always been about big successes in little things, in little places, right? And that's a big part of who we are and what we do, what we're about, right? And, and, and what these places are about. When you're at a place like a right to primary school, and if you listen to the other, the other episodes here, it's the same concept. It's the same messaging. It's a, a, a passion, an enthusiasm, and an awareness of the bigger picture beyond your four walls. Thank you so much for listening to The Sustainable Traveler. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you for listening to The Sustainable Voice. If you have a success story of your own, please reach out and share it with us. Would love to hear from you. See you next time.